0: Well, good morning. My name is Scott, and I'm dying. Don't worry, you're dying too. You know, death is a really interesting subject that I think we have a hard time addressing as a culture. We don't have space in our world, I think, for people who are dealing with grief. We don't know how... Is that? How do we do that? How do we walk with people through that? And so I think as, as it, just a culture, death is a hard thing for us. At the same time, we're bizarrely intrigued by it. And we see that in our favorite shows like The Walking Dead. Or Six Feet Under, we'll start with Six Feet Under. It's a show about people who are literally in the death business. They run a funeral home. Not recommending any of these shows, just pointing them out as cultural markers. So we have Six Feet Under, then we have The Walking Dead, if you're into zombies. I don't know what it is about our fascination with zombies. It's like they're dead, but they're not dead. In the words of Princess Bride, they're just partially dead. And so we are intrigued by that. This week, though, I discovered that we have jumped the proverbial shark. There's now a show on TLC called The Best Funeral Ever, and it's a reality show that chronicles people throwing over-the-top death celebrations. One funeral took place at a bowling alley in Texas. So I've never seen the show. I just think that, man, that, that's just a little bit too much. Um, I mean, I, I, Sweet Sixteens are one thing, but funerals are something else entirely. We're in this series called Hope Dealers. And as you talk about the hope that we have, that we live with for the future, I think there's a part of us that has to deal with, and if we're going to talk about hope, we have to talk about the hope that lies beyond this life. This morning, uh, I was on Twitter and I saw that one of the best uh, athletes in our country, a man named Jose Fernandez, who pitches for the Marlins, he died in a boating accident. 24 years old, top of his game. And all these people that I saw replying to that were reminded that, yeah, life is that fragile. Life is that short. And while we'd like to think that with technology we have created a world where we're insulated from that reality, there's a part of having hope that has to address the part of life that we will all experience one day, and that's death. And so this morning, we're going to talk about our future hope. As Paul shares with us, he gives us an opportunity to talk about the hope we have and how it influences how we look at a moment like that. So this morning, the central idea of this message is this, that our hope must be Jesus-focused and unselfish. Jesus-focused and unselfish. When you walked in, you got a bulletin. There's a handout in there. You can take notes as we follow along this morning. Our passage for this morning is in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 26. See, if you have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to turn there. If not, we'll have the verses on the screen. And for those of you who are just joining us, we're in week three of a series we're doing all this fall called Hope Dealers. Because we believe that we're living in a world that's desperate for hope. And the book of Philippians was written to a people who were in a really hard place, who needed hope themselves. And so we're discovering how we can have hope and how we can share with other people. So Philippians is about 90% of the way through the Bible. We've already ch- tackled uh, the first two chunks of it, and now we're in uh, the third section, uh, Philippians one eighteen through 26. Read the first couple verses, and then we'll kind of dive in piece by piece. So beginning of verse 18, this is what Paul writes. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this he's talking about being in prison, will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This morning, I want to talk about what this future hope does in us, how it impacts how we live today, the hope that we have for the future. And the first thing this future hope makes possible in us is it makes us resilient in confidence. Our future hope allows us, amidst whatever's happening to us, whatever difficulty we're facing, it makes us more resilient in terms of the confidence we have for the future. Now, I mentioned there that Paul's, Paul's struggle that he's writing about is that he's in prison. We're not sure where he's in prison. Maybe he's in Ephesus, maybe he's in Rome. But he's uncertain if he's going to get out of this prison alive. In the first century, the Roman Empire is turning up the heat on the early church. The persecution is getting more intense. It's getting more severe. More and more of those 12 men, the disciples who followed Jesus around, are being killed. And so Paul is not sure if he's ever going to see these people, this church in Philippi, that he's writing to ever again. And he loves this church. They've been the most consistent encouragers in his life. They've been his best friends. They've been there for him when no one else was. And he doesn't want to say goodbye to them, and they don't want to say goodbye to him. But Paul is in a circumstance in his life where I would say that he is being shaken. He's uncertain. Things are happening that are outside of his control, and like an earthquake shakes the foundation under a person or a building, life is shaking Paul. And life is going to shake you. It will rock you at some point. It may be a loss of a job. It may be a health scare. It may be a financial crisis or the betrayal of someone that you trusted, a close friend. Someone you look up to may do something terrible to you. Or you may find yourself in a battle with depression. The question isn't, will I be shaken? The question is, when will I be shaken? Because we will all have one of those moments. And as we are being shaken, we will discover a simple truth. And that's this, that the strength of your hope is based upon the object of your hope. The strength of your hope is based upon the object of your hope. And when you are being shaken, you will discover where you have placed your hope. If you go through a health crisis and your hope has been in your health, you'll discover that that object is not very strong. If if you put your hope in your ability to control and manipulate and keep life going a certain direction, if you discover that life is actually outside of your control, you'll discover the strength and the object that you've been putting your hope in. And see, Paul, he discovers that he has placed his hope in Jesus. And in the midst of his shaking... He becomes even more confident. He becomes even more resilient. He says, no, it is my eager expectation and hope. The visual picture here is like someone stretching on tiptoes. He's on his tiptoes waiting to see what God does because even though he's in prison, he remains confident that God is going to work and move in a powerful way. Many of us, when we go through a shaking, we're not on tiptoes. We're crouching in a corner we're pulling back, we're turning in. And yet when we place our hope in Jesus, it allows us to be confident, even expectant in the face of that hope. We learn later on in the scriptures that Paul actually got free. At the end of Acts and in 2 Timothy, we find signs that he was ultimately released. Church history tells us that he later visited Philippi again He went on to share the gospel in what we know as Spain today. But ultimately, Paul was imprisoned a second time. And ultimately, he was killed for his faith. But in this shaking, in this moment, his hope in Jesus allows him to be even more resilient. Question for you. If you're being shaken today, are you becoming more or less resilient? If you're being shaken today, are you becoming more or less resilient? resilient. That probably has less to do with the quality of who you are as a person, and it has more to do with the object of your hope that allows you to sustain amidst the shaking. Paul continues with one of the most famous verses in this whole book of Philippians, in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's hope makes him bold in his confession he's bold in his confession this this statement to live as christ and to die is gain those are some bold words and we think about confession sometimes as somebody commits a crime and they make a confession that they 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 committed the crime but confession just means telling the truth being honest and so paul is saying look if i continue to live here in prison or somewhere else, that's Christ. I get to experience my life in Christ. Christ will meet my needs. I'll get to serve others. I'll get to make a difference in this world. That's amazing. But yet, if I die, that's gain too. Because people will hear about Jesus and how I've been faithful to him, and I'll actually get to go and be with Jesus. And so Paul says, I see good either way. I'm good with it. Whatever it comes, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And while some of us have have heard this verse before, and you might kind of nod your head intellectually at what I just talked about, many of us haven't experienced this verse in our experience. You see, if we put blanks in here and took out Christ and took out to gain, a lot of us would complete this sentence very differently. We'd say to live is self. Because Our life is really all about us. Well, if to live is self, to die is loss. If you fill the sentence in, "To live is wealth," well, to die is bankruptcy." If to live is power, to die is defeat. If to live is comfort, to die is pain. If you fill in that in, to live is admiration, to die is rejection. To live is ease, to die is hard. While many of us might go, yeah, to live is Christ, to die is gain, practically, here in September in 2016, we're finishing this sentence very differently. For us, our life is caught up in very different things. And we don't see to live and to die as equal or okay or both desirable. No, for us, we're really caught up in this life. And we don't want to see death come because it means the loss of the thing that we value the most that our hope is in. No, Paul, his hope, his daily hope, and his future hope are so Jesus-focused that he's good either way. So let's talk about heaven. I'm not sure we talk about heaven enough in the church. Now, there's a, lot of, there's a long list of things we don't talk about enough, but we can't talk about all those. That's why we don't talk about them. But I, I love how my generation uh, has become more passionate, has become more committed about changing the world. I, I love that we're more aware of the fact that a billion people don't have access to clean water. I love that we're aware of the fact that there are more slaves on planet Earth today than there have ever been in human history. I love that we're aware of the crisis that's happening when it comes to fatherlessness and orphans in our world. But I don't hear enough from my generation about heaven. I don't ever talk to my friends about heaven. I'm not sure a lot of us even want to go there right now because we're so caught up in this life. And that's probably a problem, right? I mean, if you never think about heaven, if you never think about being with God, if that is not actually something you desire, if you're all caught up in the first half of that sentence, to live is blank, that's a problem. And so while I love the fact that my generation has gotten so involved in making our world a better place and bringing justice and healing to our world, we have to recognize that we won't always be here and we have to long for Jesus. On the other side, I hear a lot of people talking about heaven who are older. Tons of talk. Heaven is going to be the place where I'm no longer in pain. Heaven is going to be the place where I no longer have to take 37 pills a day. Heaven is going to be the place where I can be reunited with that person that I love. Heaven is going to be the place where the world isn't screwed up anymore. And we talk about all those things. You know what's missing in that discussion? Jesus. And if you're always talking about heaven, but you never get around to Jesus, that's just as much a problem as not talking about heaven at all. Because if your vision of heaven functions without Jesus, that's not heaven. And so Paul isn't saying, I'm looking to die. He's saying, no, I'm alive to Christ. And if I get to be alive to Christ in this world or alive to Christ in the next, if I get to make a big deal out of Jesus in this world or make a big deal out of him in the next world, I don't really care because I am obsessed and focused with Jesus and he is everything to me. And I think many of us have heard that, but our experience is far from that. And so when we put our hope in Jesus now, as we look to the future, it allows us to become more bold in our confession and our belief in him. Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 6. He said, for the death he died, that's Jesus, Jesus died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives in God So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's not that we confess with our mouth that we believe in Jesus. It's that he has brought us to life and that life leads us to live boldly. So this morning in your bulletin, when you walked in, there's an index card. And this week, what I want you to do is I want you to memorize this verse, Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I gave you the card so you can write the verse down, which we believe helps you remember it more so you can post it somewhere. And my goal with this verse and these verses is not that you can recite the verse back because many of you already know this verse. My goal in you memorizing it and spending time with it every day is that the gap between nodding your head to the verse and your experience of the verse would narrow. There's this wouldn't be just a verse you go, okay, yeah, to live as Christ and die as gain. Okay, cool. Moving on. No, no, no. Not moving on if there's a giant gap between what we know and how we live. And I hope this verse messes with some of you this week. That you recognize that, man, I'm not living for Christ. And when it comes to death, I don't view that as gain. I'm just going to leave that there. Unresolved, because I think some of us need to lean into it. Paul continues in verse 22. He says, For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. This hope that Paul has, and this hope that we have, it can make us discerning in conflict. It can give us the ability to discern when we are confused or uncertain. Paul uses a word to describe himself. He says, I'm hard-pressed between to live and to die. I'm hard-pressed. This idea that he's feeling this pressure to be pulled in multiple directions. You know, we use the phrase, he's between a rock and a hard place. Paul is in conflict. He desires to go and be with God... And yet he knows the work he's been given on earth to do is not done. And so he's wrestling. He's torn. It's like he's, he's, like he's the rope in the middle of a tug-of-war and he's torn in both directions. And there's some of you that you know that's like. You're looking at the present circumstances in your life and you're going, man, I would love for this season of my life to be done. I'd love for the shaking to stop. I'd love for the struggle to end. And you're torn between that And the good of other people. What's better for them and what's better for you. How do you choose? Well, Paul begins to discern that what is better for them is actually better for him. He says in verse 24, But to remain in the flesh, to remain here alive, is more necessary on your account. You can tell that he has this love and affection and care for them. That he would set aside what is good for him for other people. That's, that's counter to the way we live humanly. It's maybe counter to the way that many of us live as Americans. He believes that God is not done with him and he still has work to do for them. And I think what Paul is saying here is a strong indictment on the American view of retirement. I think Paul doesn't have a concept of retirement that we have had in America for the last 50 to 100 years. That you get to a certain point in your life And you can pull back, and you can play golf five times a week, and you can rest. But the challenge is is that there's a lot of people who are retiring today that that isn't the vision that they want, nor the one they're going to get to experience. Because most people don't have enough money to spend 20 or 30 years playing golf five days a week. And some of you feel like you don't want to. That's not fulfilling. You feel like you have something to give still. You have something you want to do. And while seasons change and age adjusts, energy and capacity, you still feel like you have something to contribute, and that's where Paul is. He's not looking to move to Sun City, Rome. (laughs) Nothing wrong with Sun City if you live there, but that is isn't on his agenda. He's saying, I go to be with Jesus, or I stay here and I serve you. There's not option C where things are all about Paul. That's just not in his purview. And so, in our world, which, whether you're young or old, hyper elevates the self and the individual and tells you it's all about you, Paul is saying, No, it's not all about me. I'm going to discern this conflict, but it's not be with God, be with you, be all about me. That isn't an option. And so, he continues to call us to a countercultural way where we sacrifice our self interests for the good of other people following in the example of Jesus who said in Mark 8:34 if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me if you claim the title that you are a follower of Jesus that you are a Christian you are following in the way of one who calls you to daily put yourself to death to put to death your self-interests to put to death your ego and your agenda and your plan for his good and for others. And that is as a radical, uncomfortable, and countercultural idea in 2016 as it was in AD 30 when Jesus said these words aloud. Because we live in a world that says, Deny yourself. What? Take up your cross? That sounds hard. We don't do hard and follow other people, no, they need to follow you and see how awesome your life is at Instagram, you know? And yet this is the way that Jesus calls us to and that that Paul is giving us an example of is that as we discern our decisions, what does it mean to be focused on Jesus and what does it mean to serve other people? And that is what guides us to make decisions, not how do I best serve myself And put my own agenda forward. No, how do I set my own ego aside and live for the good of others? And here's how Paul wraps it up in verse 25. He says, convinced of this, that it's more necessary for their account that he stay. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul has this confidence that he's going to see them again, and that brings him joy. His future hope makes him joyful in conviction, and I believe our future hope can make us joyful too. Paul's choosing this way. He's choosing this path not out of obligation or guilt or fear or shame, many of the things that drive us in the church, No, he's doing it because of joy. He's excited to do this. He's excited to set aside his ego. He's excited to set aside his agenda. He's excited to set aside what would be better for him so that he can see their interests furthered and God glorified. I think this is a great reminder that joy is not defined by your circumstances. I think many of us, myself included, have a huge problem with joy. Now, we love happiness. I mean, America, if it's about anything, it's about being happy. Um, But happiness and joy are different things. And I believe many of us have just kind of punted joy and kind of said, that's not going to be for me. That's what I did. I really struggled for years. I think I still struggle with joy. I felt like it was either happiness, which never really sat well, because, I mean, my happiness is determined by a lot of things. I mean, how well the cardinals are doing, if they spelled my name right on my Starbucks cup, I mean, if they, my kids are happy, I mean, just really trivial things. Okay, well, joy can't be happiness. And then people said, joy is a choice. And that didn't feel like joy. That felt like, I don't know, um, school or, you know, like the command of somebody else. And I, that, that's, not, that's not bringing me up, that's pushing me down. And while I do think that we can pursue joy and work towards joy, I think sometimes joy is something that surprises us, that sneaks up on us. I think it's a supernatural thing. I mean, in another place, Galatians 5, Paul lists the fruit, the signs that the Spirit of God is alive in us. He says love, okay, we all know love, and then he goes joy. I mean, we all know love is important, but joy is right there. I don't think we treat it as like the number two. It's like the number 222. Most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about joy. We think about, "I have to do this, I need to get things done, I need to." and we're really serious, and stressed and focused and busy. But where's joy? I mean, is joy motivating you? Or have you, has joy just been absent for a long time? I think because a lot of us haven't had joy, we're just really cynical about it. Maybe even bitter about it. I have to do this, and I don't have joy about that, and that's really eating me alive. And yet what Paul says is that joy is the product of this hope working us. In another place, in Romans 15, he said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit... You may abound in hope. I don't know about you, but I don't meet a ton of people in this world who are abounding with hope and joy and peace. I meet people in this world who are abounding with worry and fear and concern. I meet people who are abounding in control and stress and anxiety. And Paul is saying that as we fix our hope on the object of Jesus, that God will fill us with joy and peace so that we abound, we overflow. If you can imagine a cup being filled and you leave the sink on it just overfills, that we are abounding and overflowing with hope. When you put your hope in Jesus and you have a relationship with him, he allows you to be filled to overflowing with hope and joy and peace. So this isn't a sign to go, okay, this week I need to work hard at being hopeful and joyful and peaceful. No. If you work at it, it's not the work of God in you. I did my whole grunting thing a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to do it again because some of you thought it was weird. But, but the fruit of God working in us is not us willing it. It says it's the God of hope. Who fills you and by the power of his spirit you abound it's god at work in you not you willing yourself to that the thing that we do is we focus and place our hope in jesus not in a candidate not in our plans working out not in having enough not in being in control but on jesus And as we center our focus and our hope on him, and we concern ourselves with serving and giving ourselves to other people, he promises that he will make us abound in hope. So I have some next steps for you this week. Things I'd encourage you to do as you process this text and this message, either in our groups or on your own. And the first one is assess the foundation of your hope. Assess the foundation of your hope. See, it's so important, if you've lived in Southern California and you know this, to assess the foundation before the earthquake. (laughs) Assessing the foundation after the earthquake is basically just a useless, futile act because the shaking has already come. You will be shaken. So where is your hope placed? So that you place your hope in the right place that when the shaking comes your hope can sustain you The first thing you have to do is assess the foundation of your hope The second thing is to discover or rediscover your life in christ I put both there because for some of you in this room You've never given your life to christ and so this whole discussion just sounds a little bit weird to you if you've never discovered that the one who created you intended for you to live a life in him, alive to him, free from guilt and fear and shame, then you're never going to get to the point that Paul got to. So you need to discover a life in Christ. And this morning we could help you do that. Others of you, you you've discovered a life in Christ, but along the way you got caught up in the life that you wanted to live. And so you're not, live, you're not living fueled by grace. You're living fueled by guilt and hard work and trying to earn God's love. And you need to abandon that and rediscover your life in Christ. You see, you'll never say to die is gain if you don't first say to live is Christ when you can discover that to live is Christ and that you are alive in Him and that He gives you life as it comes and as your needs come, He meets those needs, then along the way, as you say, you know what, to live is Christ, then eventually you'll get to, you know what, to die is gain. But you'll never get to the second half unless you discover the first half. And third, the third step, look for a purpose bigger than yourself. Many of us don't have that quandary That Paul had because there's nothing in our life that's bigger than ourselves that we're giving ourselves to. So it's not what's good for me as I follow God or what's good for other people. It's what's good for me. There's no option B. One of the most common questions I get as a pastor is, Scott, how do you know God's will for your life? How do you know what he wants you to do? How do you figure out your purpose? And, and for me, one of the things I share is something that my mom taught me years ago when I was struggling to make a big decision in my life. And, and I'm a little bit of a stress monkey. Uh, I'm a firstborn. I like to always be right. Um, I tend to like to be in control and know what's going to happen. Um, I'm a recovering performance, be the best, you know, win, 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 win. And uh, my mom said, "Um, Scott, you are so caught up and turned up in knots about this decision. And, And I think it's because you think God's will is like a tiny little creek. My wife grew up in Western New York and behind her house in New York, there's a little creek that runs and about two steps and you're over it. It's really easy to miss if you weren't looking for it. And many of us think that God's will is like that. I mean, if we don't do all the right things, we're just gonna miss God's will and be totally screwed, you know? And so we're just caught up in knots and turned up in, I mean, ah, I'm gonna gonna screw up my life. God's in charge, but I'm gonna screw up my life, you know? And she said, Scott, God's will is not a tiny little creek. It's a mighty river. It's not this tiny little thing that if you misstep a little bit, you're just gonna miss it entirely and ruin everything. She said, we just went to Louisiana to visit your aunt and uncle. She said, we drove over the Mississippi River. It took us five minutes at 55 miles an hour to drive over the river. It's huge. She goes, that's God's will. It's much more powerful and bigger than you could ever imagine. And so for you, as you look for a purpose bigger than yourself, the two barriers of the river are, is this about Jesus? And is this focused on the good of other people? And if it's in those boundaries, I think there's a lot of room. But if it's about you and your own interests, I think it's outside the river. And so Paul is saying your hope in Jesus should focus on Jesus and should call you to give yourself to the good of other people. And if you put your hope there and you give your life to that, then if you live, awesome, that's Christ. And if you die, that's gain. That's Christ. And you become a powerful, dangerous, in a good way, unstoppable person. Because no matter what comes, you can't be shaken. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are enough. That you've conquered. That you're a champion that even amidst uncertain times, cities in our countries having curfews and protests, different stories about events we watch on the news, pain and angst and fear and worry and concern, anxiety and stress and depression and angst, Even as we're shaken, God, we are reminded that you are an unshakable, unstoppable force in this world. You were there when we were formed. You know every hair on our head. You know every one of our days. And as we get caught up and turned up in everything that's happening, I pray, God, that you would allow our eyes to be turned to you. That you would become the one that we focus our vision and our hope on. That you would become the one we look to. Not our phones, not social media, not cable news, but to you that we would glance at the world and instead gaze on you. For you are our hope. You are our foundation. And God, we pray that you sustain and carry us even through the hard days and the shaking. some of you in the room today who've never discovered that life that's Christ you know a lot about life, the good and the bad and the up and the down and maybe you're here today because that life has let you down this morning we're going to have some of our prayer partners up front and they would love to talk and pray with you about where you are in life and if you're interested they would love to share with you about the hope that I have just described that Paul speaks to that is found in Jesus Christ who came and gave his life for you that you might be able to live. There's others of you that are going through something hard and you just need to come forward and pray. We'll have people here who can pray with you. We chose this song today because for years and decades, across generations, it's been a reminder of where we place our hope and of the sustaining power of that hope. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.